I want you to imagine that we want to attract more attention to our church. Consider the possibility of us wanting to get more noticed by our community. What kind of things could we do that would get our neighbors to sit up and notice us? Maybe say, wow, look at what's going on over there. Maybe there really is something to this message of Jesus that they're always talking about. Now, I've got a few ideas that I want to run by you. See what you think of them. I mean, one thing that we could do, we could uh, put together a mailing and put it in everybody's mailbox. We could do a big push on social media, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, Maybe there's somebody here who could help me with TikTok. We could enhance our facilities. We could build a bigger and better playground out there. Maybe bring in some of those bouncy houses. Or we could schedule... um, a popular speaker, maybe host a concert here at the church. Actually, I got a better idea, and this is one that I think is really going to work. What we could do is we could bring in Jumping for the King Ministries. This is Aaron Ramsey. And he uses his motorcycle to jump over buses in church parking lots, oftentimes through a wall of fire. I bet that this would get our neighbors to talk about us. (laughs) Now, truthfully speaking, I'm not terribly excited about any of those ideas. Few of them might work and might get us some results, but I actually think that there's a better and truer way that we could do this, a way that would make us get noticed but not look silly in the process, a way that wouldn't tempt us to compromise our message. In fact, I think it would actually enhance the credibility of our message. I do need to warn you, though, it's not flashy, it's not new, it doesn't require any sort of use of cutting-edge technology. In fact, even though it is pretty simple, it's not easy a lot of the time, but it is pretty connected to the meaning and purpose of the church, the design and purpose of the church. Even though some churches don't always emphasize this real well. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about love. Not love for God, although that's where it starts, but love for other people. Love for each other. Because the truth of it is, a church that is learning to love God and to love others well is a church that gets noticed by its community and begins to change its community. 
And we're going to talk about that this morning. We're in the midst of a sermon series from the New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians. This book is really a letter uh, written by the early church leader Paul uh, to the church that he started there in the city of Thessalonica, a city located in modern-day Greece. That city was big, it was prosperous, it was very religious, but not very Christian. And so Paul wrote this letter to the Christians there in order to help them know how to live well and faithfully in their city. This morning we are going to hear Paul remind the Thessalonian Christians that in order to love and please God, they need to be loving each other. We're going to learn about several ways he wants them to do this. And we're going to consider how love can and does actually get a church the kind of attention that she really does need and want. So I'm going to invite you to open up your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you're using one of our red Bibles, we're going to be on page 1837. And Jeff, I know that you were ready to tell me that, but uh, I remembered this time. If you were here last week, you'd know what I was talking about. Anyway, First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, and again, in the Red Bibles, 1837. Paul here reminds the Thessalonians that in order to please God, they need to love each other well. Now, last week, we started into a new section in this letter in which Paul is reminding the Thessalonians of things that he has taught them previously. He is affirming of them because they are doing these things, and he's encouraging them to do them more and more. Um, So look at verse 1 in chapter 4. He writes, as for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact, you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Now the first reminder that that Paul gives them in this section is a reminder about the importance of pursuing sexual holiness, basically living according to the sexual ethic of Jesus. That's what we talked about last week. It was a part of the text we looked at last week. Um, If you missed that and are curious... Uh, you can go on our website and you can actually listen to the, to the sermon there. But Paul's second reminder in this section, the one that we're going to look at today, is all about love. And not for God, although again, that is where this all starts, but rather their love for others, for each other. And this, again, it's something that the people in this church, these Thessalonian Christians, this is something that they're already doing. They're even doing it well, but Paul wants to encourage them to do this more and more. So jump now down to verse 9, where we're going to be today. He writes to them, Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. So Paul here, this command uh, to love one another here, um, is one that they've not only learned from Paul, but, but 
they've also learned this command from God. Now, Paul, in saying this, he could be referring to the teaching of Jesus, which they had obviously become familiar with, uh, because Jesus' teaching frequently emphasizes uh, how important it is uh, to love others, to love even enemies. It's also possible that what Paul is alluding here to is part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. See, now that they are Christians, they have the Holy Spirit residing in them. And the Spirit is, is teaching them and transforming their hearts and their minds. And so they are learning to love each other more and more and more because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. But not only this, it also seems that the Thessalonians already have a reputation for loving each other. In verse 10 there, Paul acknowledges the love that they have shown to other Christians living across this region of Macedonia, which is where Thessalonica was. Likely, this involves providing uh, financial and personnel support for evangelism that was going on in their area, uh, offering housing and hospitality to other believers who were traveling through their city, and then, of course, simply assisting needy Christians who live there in their region. I think all of that's pretty straightforward. But there is something more to Paul's affirmation here that isn't so obvious to us today. And in this instance, the NIV, which is a translation that I really, really like, the NIV doesn't actually do us any favors here. Look there at verse 9. The NIV suggests, Paul's statement is about your love for one another, which again, generally speaking, it is. But a more literal translation would be your brotherly love. He uses here the Greek term Philadelphia, or brother love. And I highlight this because Paul is actually being a bit subversive here. See, in Greco-Roman culture, Philadelphia, or brother love, was used almost exclusively to describe the kind of love that family members have for each other. It's the kind of love that only is shared between blood relatives. And it's the kind of love that uh, their philosophers often praised and promoted this kind of love as one of the most important forms of solidarity in their society. In fact, this was a kind of love that was considered necessary for the vitality of their civilization. This deep, strong, persistent love that family has, or at least should have, for each other. And so their philosophers often explained, proclaimed, why it was so highly prized and so important. But at the same time, would sometimes lament that families didn't necessarily embody it as often as they should. And so what Paul has actually done here is he has, he has emphasized a prized, if fleeting, Greco-Roman ideal and subverts it. He praises the Thessalonian church for doing brother love in the church, even though they are not blood-related. See, because of following Jesus... They've learned to love each other in ways that their Greco-Roman neighbors struggle to love even their own family members. 
These Christians, though not blood or family related, they were practicing this esteemed kind of love that the rest of society often struggled to realize, even in their own families. This is a beautiful thing. And it makes sense that this was taking place there when we realize what is at the heart of the Christian faith. And that is that through the blood of Jesus, people are turned into family who are learning to love each other like family is supposed to. Well, having seen Paul praise the Thessalonian Christians for their family love for each other, now we learn about some of the ways that Paul wants them to love each other. Look at verse uh, 10. I'm going to pick up about halfway through the verse. He says, yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do this more and more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you. So Paul here, he highlights four ways that he wants to encourage the Thessalonians to love each other. He wants them to do it more. He wants them to live a quiet life. He wants them to mind their own business. And he wants them to engage in self-sufficient work. Let's look at each of these. First, Paul wants them to do it more. To love each other more and more. He writes to them, We urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. See, love is one of those very special things that can never be overdone fully realized, nor completed. See, there just really isn't a limit to how much we can love or how deeply we can love others. Think, for example, about young parents who are pregnant with their second child, and they're worried that they're not going to be able to love this second child like they love their first, or that now they're going to have to love their first child less so that they can make sure to love their second child the same amount. I mean, do you remember? Parents worry about this. But what we all discover is that it's just not a problem. Our capacity to love is greater than we imagine. And we can love our second or our third or our fourth or our fifth child just as much without having to diminish the love that we have for our first. See, we have this capacity, especially as Christians, to love others more and more. And so, to, and so Paul is telling them and he's telling us, you are doing a great job of loving each other. Now let's do it more and more. All right, next. The, the next three ways to love each other that Paul highlights here, they're actually less direct, less on the nose, so to speak, than the first. And um, they're likely situationally specific to things that were going on there in the church in Thessalonica. But still, they, they, certainly complain, contain, they certainly contain some important wisdom and instruction for us today. Uh, so let's look. The second way to love each other is to live a quiet life. Paul says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Now, I do want to be clear, a quiet life doesn't have to mean a boring life. 
Paul is not telling Christians here that, you know, it's just best that you all be wallflowers. That's not at all what Paul is saying here. What Paul is telling the Thessalonians is to make it their goal to live the kind of life that's free of behaviors or activities that cause unwelcome or un improper disturbances to others. Here's another way to to say what I think that Paul is getting at here. He's saying to them, don't be drama queens. Or, Or to put it a little more contemporarily, don't be a Karen or a Chad. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Anyway. I mean, it's that leads to the kind of behavior that gets you attention. In fact, it oftentimes will even get you your way but it is no way to love others. And that's because this kind of behavior is really selfish. And instead of loving others, all you're really doing is creating headaches, hardships, and challenges for people that you are, in fact, supposed to be loving. And certainly there are always going to be, there's always going to be this kind of behavior going on in our world around us and now being captured by social media. But as Christians... We should never be the ones who are caught doing it. Never. Because that's not loving. The third way to love each other is to mind your own business. Uh, Paul says it clearly. You should mind your own business. We all know uh, just how easy it is to notice and nitpick at the faults and failures of others. And I think we're tempted, we're really tempted to do this, and for lots of different reasons. I mean, sometimes it's just to get a laugh at someone else's expense. Do you see that dress that Jill was wearing today? I bet it went out of style a decade ago. I hope there aren't any Jills here today. (laughs) That was purely hypothetical. That's not love. That's not loving. Sometimes we do it to make us feel better about ourselves. Boy, I'm sure glad that it wasn't my kid who got kicked off that team. That's not loving. Sometimes we do it to draw attention away from our own faults and failures. Hey, do you see that Bob and Sue Smith are separated? They must be going through a rough patch. That's not love. Love minds its own business unless we are actually willing and able to do something about it. Willing and able to do something that will actually make that other person's life better or at least less painful. Otherwise, we should mind our own business because that's what love does. The fourth way to love each other is, according to Paul, to work with your hands, just as we told you. Now, the fact that Paul words it this way suggests, or seems to suggest, that the Thessalonian church was probably made up of mostly artisans and unskilled laborers, uh, people who worked with their hands. But the emphasis here is not on hands, it's on work. So an important way for us to love others is to work so that we are able to provide for our own needs. 
So how does this relate to loving others more and more? Well, if a person can work but doesn't, then others, usually members of their family, are compelled to pick up the slack in order to provide for them. And putting others in that position is not loving. Assuming, even expecting others to sacrifice and provide for us when we are capable of providing for ourselves is not loving. It's lazy. It's selfish. And it was apparently an issue there in the Thessalonian church. In fact, it was bad enough that in the follow-up letter to this one, which we know is 2 Thessalonians, Paul actually gets even more blunt about it. He says to them, if they won't work, they don't get to eat. So why had this become such a problem in the Thessalonian church? Now, we don't know for sure because Paul doesn't tell us and he didn't need to tell the Thessalonians because they already knew why it was happening. But most biblical scholars think that it was one of several things, maybe even a combination of them. It could simply be that there were some in the church who were simply lazy and were starting to take advantage of others, taking advantage of the love and generosity that others were showing And so instead of seeking and accepting help only when it was truly needed, they just stopped working and let others take care of them. That is no way to love others. Another possibility relates to something that Paul is going to address a little bit later on in this letter, and that is the timing of Jesus' return. Paul had, when he was with them in the city, Paul had uh, undoubtedly taught them that Jesus was coming back again to finally and to forever fix the world, all that's broken in the world. And so it's very possible that some in the church were convinced that this return of Jesus was so imminent that working in order to provide for their family and for their future was really just a waste of time. And so they stopped and just counted on others to provide for them in the meantime. Problem is, this isn't loving. Another possibility relates to the Greco-Roman patronage system. The way this worked, uh, people from the poorer classes would attach themselves to benefactors from the upper classes. And in exchange for regular expressions of gratitude and support, these benefactors would provide some measure of food and funds to help these poorer people live, uh, or basically provide food and funds for them to live off of. In fact, you could almost think of this as like, it's kind of like being part of a paid fan club for wealthy people, uh, wealthy members of the society there in Thessalonica, and, and, and this didn't just take place in Thessalonica, but other, were, uh, other places as well. Now, If that's what Paul is addressing here, it's not quite so clear exactly how this relates to loving others. But if there were some in the church who were depending on this kind of support, it could lead them to make compromises in order to please their benefactors in ways that they otherwise never would. And so working with their own hands, like Paul instructs them to, would actually set them free from this system of obligation. But whatever the reasons for why people weren't working, Paul's instruction is the same. Love works. 
providing for ourselves when we're able to is an important way to love others because it doesn't needlessly obligate them to do for us what we should be doing for ourselves. So here are Paul's instructions on loving each other. Do it more and more. Live a quiet life. Mind your own business and work. Paul's not done yet. Paul now points to two benefits of loving each other in all these ways. Look at verse 12. He says, love each other in these ways so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. So Paul highlights two benefits of loving others well. It wins the respect of outsiders and it avoids creating dependency on others. One of those is very practical. The other is very powerful. Let's do, let's do practical first. Now, practically speaking, this is the best way for us to not become needlessly dependent on others. It's unhealthy for us, and frankly, it's unhealthy for them as well. And Paul is very clearly thinking primarily of those, who, those people who can work but aren't and have now become dependent on the generosity of others to provide for them what they should be providing for themselves. Now, I do want to be really clear about this. This doesn't mean that we shouldn't be helping each other. And especially, step in when the need is greater than what a person can bear. In fact, Paul actually describes this balance in one of his other letters, the letter that he writes to the church in Galatia. He says to them, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ, which is oftentimes described as the law of love. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the law of love of Christ. If anyone thinks that there's something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Don't be puffed up. Each one of you should test their own actions, then can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. So Paul here, he emphasizes both carrying each other's burdens and each person carrying their own load. This is not a contradiction. We should do for ourselves what we're capable of doing for ourselves so that we're not an undue burden on others. And at the same time, when the burdens, when the need, when the situation is just bigger than what a person can handle, Christians are to step up and to step in to help each other because that is what love does. And because that is what Jesus has done for us. When we were dead in our sin and defiled in ways that we could not remedy, enslaved to passions and to lusts that we could not break free from, and powerless 
to become holy in all the ways that God is calling us to be. Jesus came to carry these burdens for us. He took our sin and he died so we can live. In his death, he took our defilement and shame so that we can be pure again. He let himself be arrested and condemned so that we can be set free. And he took all of our unrighteousness on himself so that we can be and become the holy people that God is calling us to be. That is what love looks like. That is the love that Jesus has for us. And that is the love that is to inspire and to animate our love for each other. Well, if avoiding unhealthy dependence is the practical benefit of loving others, the powerful benefit is the witness that it creates for the world. Remember, the city of Thessalonica, it is very religious, but not very Christian. And so for the Christians who are living there, most of their neighbors, even many members of their own family, would have viewed them with suspicion, even with contempt, because they were worshiping the wrong gods, and they were living according to the wrong set of values, methods, and priorities. And Paul is telling the church that it is their love for each other, this radical family love that they have for each other that is giving tremendous credibility to their decision to follow Jesus and to this new and better way of living that he has called them to. Love is their most powerful, love for each other is their most powerful witness. Love is what makes their community so compelling and, making it, and makes it so attractive to outsiders. And it is a reflection of what Jesus himself taught to his disciples. A new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. A church's love for each other is what gives witness and credibility to the truth and the goodness of the message of Jesus. This was true in Thessalonica in the first century, and it is just as true for the church in America in the 21st century. Now, we could invite Pastor Aaron Ramsey. He is apparently a pastor, from what I understand, and have him jump over our bus through a wall of fire 
But I know that we can do better than this. In fact, I know that we are doing better than this. And I know that we can do better than this more and more. And so here is what I actually want to propose. Let's take to heart what Jesus has modeled for us and what these scriptures are intended to teach us. And let's keep learning how to love each other more and more. So much more that God is pleased and our neighbors are amazed. I don't know that there is a better way for us to be inspired to do this and to do this than by sharing this table set in our midst with Jesus and with each other. This table that sits before us is set with symbols of Jesus' message and his mission. A message and a mission that is defined by love and by truth. We have ashes here to represent sorrow and suffering. We have a pitcher and a towel that represent humility and service. And we have bread and juice to represent a last meal before a great sacrifice. Jesus' life for ours. He was condemned, so we get to be forgiven. He died, so we get to live. Jesus said it himself. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. But see, the thing is, Jesus did even better than this. He laid down his life while we were still his enemies so that he could make us into his friends. But even more than friends, his blood has also made us into family. Family with God, because we're adopted into the family of God through Christ. And also with each other. We are now brothers and sisters in Christ. And so because of his love for us, let's commit to loving each other more and more like this. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Uh, This table is for everyone who loves Jesus, who's pledged love and loyalty to him. You don't need to be a covenant member of our church to participate with us in this. You just need to be a follower of Jesus. Otherwise, just let it go by. Um, Isaac and I are going to distribute um, double stack cups. Take the stack of two. One has the cracker, one has the juice. It's a little different than other places do it. We don't want to confuse you. Um, especially if you're new and are participating. We love that. Um, We want you to be able to fully participate. And parents, as always, we leave it to you to decide when your kids are old enough to understand and participate. Now, while we distribute these elements, uh, you're going to have some time, some quiet time. And I want to invite you, encourage you to to simply reflect on, on what it is that we've learned this morning about the importance of loving each other. You know, this is a, it's an easy enough thing for us to say, and it's sometimes a completely other thing to actually do it. 
And so talk to Jesus about how and where he might be calling you to do this more and more. Who does Jesus want you to love more today? What need might he want you to help meet that somebody else has, a a physical need, an emotional need, a, a spiritual need? Who are you struggling to love like you should? What makes love being them difficult? And what does Jesus want you to do about it? Who do you need to forgive so that you can love them better? Who do you need to forgive because God has forgiven you? Talk to Jesus about that. This bread represents the body of Christ broken for us. Broken by sin. But for the sake of love. Take and eat. This cup represents the blood of Christ. Spilled for us. He loves us so much that he came to die so that we can be set free and made into family. Take and drink. Father, we thank you for your great unstoppable plan to rescue and to redeem a people for yourself. We know that you designed and created us to be your representatives and to rule this world with you and yet we did not remain loyal to you. But thank you for loving us so much that you did not forget nor abandon us, but instead sent your son to be our true rescuer king. Jesus, thank you for loving us so much that you willingly left the glory of heaven so that you could become one of us in the midst of our beautiful but broken world for experiencing the joys and the sorrows, the challenges and the temptations that are inherent to our world in order to show us how to truly love others and then dying for all the times and ways in which we don't. Holy Spirit, please continue your good work in us. Deepen our love for Jesus and for each other. Show us, teach us how to love him and each other more and more. Make our love for each other be so great that it wins the respect of outsiders, leading them to love Jesus like we do. And may we love them like you do. Continue to make us more and more like Jesus so that we may become more and more your agents of love and gospel in this beautiful but broken world. We pray this. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now, there are many ways that we can and should love each other more and more. We can meet practical needs. We can build relationships. We can laugh and cry and eat together. And we can bless each other. So that's what we're going to do now. Stand with me as we sing the blessing to each other to close out our service.